right, welcome back to another great episode of Dan on Top. I'm your host, Dan Lukowitz, and today we have with us Bruce Woolett, founder and visionary at Bakerson. Bruce, how you doing? Fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Hey, it's my pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to join us and provide some value. So we've got limited time here, and I know you're a guy with tons of experience and value to provide for our viewers. So let's jump right in. Who is Bruce Woolett? Well, I'm the founder of Bakerson, and I, how far back do you want to go, right? But I got into real estate uh, nearly 20 years ago here in Phoenix and worked our way from single-family wholesaling or fix-and-flip to wholesaling to wholesaling apartments to value-add, and now we're creating legacy-hold apartment buildings. So that's a real quick synopsis of who I am and where we're going. Nice. Okay, great. So tell us a little bit about your five pillars. So our five pillars are something that everything we do works through those pillars. So our our uh, focus is a permanent resident. Our passion is serving the underserved. Our mission is creating communities which are safe, functional, durable, and clean. And our desire is to attract like-minded individuals, take this journey with us, and with a promise, leave all things better than we found them. Awesome. So those are the, the guiding principles that kind of inform all of your decisions. I love that. I think it's really important to have that, you know, that, that clear value set that drives your business decisions. So I'm sure that you found value to that. Yeah, over the time, it, it was created, it evolved over time that these, uh, these pillars were created. Absolutely. Awesome. So I understand that you have a Sierra Vista motel to apartment conversion project. And that's something that's very fascinating to me. I think that there's a great opportunity right now with the you know crisis that's going on in the hospitality space to potentially do those conversions of, of hotels or motels to apartments. Tell us a little bit about that project. Well, I'd love to. Yeah. Sierra, Sierra Vista is a, is, a, is a town of about 40,000 people, 90 minutes south of, uh, of Tucson, now near the, the Mexican border. And it, it, it's the home of what, uh, Fort Huachuca military base. Yeah. And w- we went down there. We, we had some leads down there a couple of years ago, looked at 440 units and made a run at it. And we didn't end up, uh, it, was, it was pretty big. And we just didn't make a, make it to the finish line with that buyer or seller that wants another buyer, but it had it on our radar. So we just monitored activity that was going on over the last two and a half years. And what I found out is, in Sierra Vista, there's a severe shortage of housing. The challenge with that is the housing is the rents are under $1,000 a month. So there's no new construction, hasn't been new construction in many years. So we thought, well, how can we bring units to market? And uh, one of the thoughts we had was, well, there's motel conversion. And, and in, uh, so we, we found this one from a broker here in Phoenix, had a, a quality in and suite that he had a listing agreement on. So we went and looked at that, and then the property manager that we talked to that, that would take over a project like this said, hey, we're doing an exact same project like this with another hotel. In five months, it went from a, a hotel to a, um, you know, B, B, B-class apartment living. And so they showed us what they could do, and they said there's still a big demand for that. So what we found out is we could buy this property for $38.50 a square foot, Put about thirty to thirty-five dollars per square foot in remodeling and updates with granite countertops, shaker cabinets, stainless appliances, decent upgrades, and we're into it for a half a replacement cost. Wow! And we can still bring it to market and have the rents between seven fifty and nine fifty a month, and the, and the cash flows and it's very good return. So we, we were really excited that we could bring new units onto market, half replacement cost, and serve a, a very um, strong demand of a lead. 
of under a thousand dollar a month rent. So it's a win-win. Plus, the biggest thing is this: this motel is running at 30% occupancy, and the owner says he has enough money to to pay his bills or has enough money to pay the mortgage, but not both. So wow. he's in a spot where he needs to sell. So we solve his problem as well. So it's just it's really really exciting for us to to be able to solve so many problems and yet have a really nice uh, quality product at the end. That's great. Now, are there any challenges in doing that conversion of going from the apartment, sorry, the motel hotel setup to actual apartments? Yeah, there is. And the biggest challenge you have is that there's fire safety requirements that are sure. um, that are steeper, steeper oftentimes. So one of the things we have to do is make sure that there's uh, the fire the, the walls between units are the right thickness. If there's not enough drywall, we have to add another layer of drywall to the to make it um, you know thick enough to for slow burn if there's a, if there's a fire. The other thing is that in putting in a sprinkler system, which people don't know that you have to do. Yeah. And the sprinkler system is going to run for 100 units. We're going to have 65 rental units. It's going to run to about 160,000 to to run sprinkler systems throughout the property. So that's one thing that people may not realize when you're looking at that conversion. The motel may not be to apartment code, especially on the fire. And then the second thing that is very important to look at is the electrical. We're going to have to run new electrical because there's not enough power to the unit to uh, to run a uh, you know the refrigerator, stove, and plus all the other appliances that are there because a motel is very low draw in comparison to an apartment. Sure. Yeah, that's very fascinating. So you mentioned uh, about the transition from flipping houses to multifamily. And, you know, I, I did a similar transition, went from single family residential house flipping into commercial real estate. I kind of look at it as like the gateway drug. Right. And uh, I'm very curious yeah. about that transition for you, what that was like, and then how you became so passionate about serving your residents and not just being a real estate investor. Well, when I started with the we did a buy, fix and sell my uh, business partner at the time, Jack Martin, and I were fixing and selling houses. And, and in a very short order, in two or three months, I had way more leads than we could possibly fix and sell. And they're good prices. And I was introduced to the concept of wholesaling. So we started to flip the contracts to investors. And what really sold me on it is our we, we flipped in, in the first year, we flipped, sold uh, 47 properties to one investor. Wow. And he got to the point where he'd go to our property and say, okay, this is what I'll pay for it. And then I'd go negotiate a purchase price with the seller. And then we would... Uh, you know, just, just build the spread in that way. Um, and then so we, got, we were doing that. It was working well, but we found out that, you know, we can make a little bit more money if we actually take the property down, clean up the graffiti, make it city of, you know, their abandoned properties, make it uh, city compliant with code enforcement and that, uh, get rid of get rid of the weeds, board up the windows, just make it look a little safer, and we could get more money for it and do the trash out. And we could make more, more money per deal. Plus, it was a, a quicker sale. The investors come in and they could see that they could see what they could do. But when there's overgrown weeds and the windows are busted out and there's graffiti, it just looks a lot more dangerous, a lot more difficult to, for them to envision that. So we had taken it to that first level of repair. Well, what happened is the market in Phoenix in, in 2007, 8, 9, or 6, I'm sorry, 5, 6, and 7 got extremely insane. And then we got out of it, out of uh, wholesaling houses, got into some land deals, um, basically lost everything and started over with the market crash. And then in 2012, we got back into wholesaling and ramped our way back up. But as the technology was changing and people were able to do more and more online, yeah. sight unseen, we didn't see that. And we thought, you know, it still takes people to do a business. So we did not latch on to technology. We were the little yellow note guys. You know, I still have these little yellow notes that I carry around and leave notes with people. And so we, we were getting pushed out of the market. Plus, 
the prices were going, the margins were going slimmer and slimmer for these other wholesalers. And we thought, you know, let's try something else. So we started wholesaling apartments. Um, but when we, when we were wholesaling, I'm sorry, back to when we were selling houses, we sold a lot of houses to homeowners. And I just realized if we could solve a problem for them, getting into houses way below market, less than rent, do seller carry back on financing. We did that. And I just noticed when we served them that way, those people were so grateful. So I, I brought some of that same experience over to the um, apartment apartment industry, or apartment, um, into the apartments that we do. So we started wholesaling, flipping apartments, making 25 to 200,000 per flip. And just found out that, hey, if we could buy, fix, and sell these, look how much more we could do and how much more impact we could have. And now we're moving towards where we want to buy, fix, and hold. But the reason I got into the taking care of the customer was uh, was really solidified when I made a purchase of an Apple product in 2008, bought three computers, spent about $8,000 at the time. And a couple of days later, I got a phone call from Apple, a service re- or sales rep that said, hey, I see you bought some things there. What can I do to help? They brought us to the Genius Bar, helped us work with the software. All this was free. And I said, now there's customer service. Here's yeah. a how many billion dollar company. And wow, they're willing to do this for me? And I thought, well, what are what, what kind of customer are the residents? $700 resident in five years is a $42,000 customer. I'm like, that's a lot of money for anybody, <laughs> especially for the lower income. Let's see what we can do to treat them with the dignity that they deserve, that any human deserves. And all we ask is for them to live in peace and pay your rent. Two things, live in peace, pay your rent, you're a good resident for us. Love it. So it sounds like a general trend I'm seeing is being of service and solving problems, which is really great. I think that that helps you to provide value and from there everything else can follow. So, you know, I, I know that one of your mottos is is that you dare to be different. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, when we when we started buying houses, I was told you can't buy houses with no money down. I said, well, I read it in my mind. I read in Kiyosaki, you could do it. So I started doing this. And whenever somebody said, you can't do it, my thought was watch me. And it was more of a challenge to myself. I didn't tell them that I wasn't, I didn't have the ego to, or, or the, that tenacity, but I was in myself, I said, watch me, we'd go do it. So there, when we dared to be different, we went into Tucson and, and we bought, build, bought buildings and we painted them dark gray and bright orange. And people <laughs> were like, that's crazy. But people fell in love with it. That looks really, really cool. Well, we were different, but we did copy from a group up in Phoenix. We copied their idea. They did oranges and greens and grays. We thought, hey, we could take that to Tucson, but nobody else had done that in Tucson. People still know our properties that way. Um, the other thing is one time we brought a food truck to the properties and said, hey, we got food coming. And we had a food truck come. We had a little picnic there with the residents and the community action officer from the police department. They came and, and met with us and a neighborhood uh, community community um, enrichment group, I guess you call them, the people that take care of the community, volunteer group, they showed up. So we do things other people won't. And I have a, I have a saying that if you do what others won't, you can get what others can't. There you go. So that's really, wherever we can find a niche like that, we're pretty excited. Love it. So, you know, other people call these apartments, but I know you call it togetherment. Tell me a little bit about that. (laughs) Well, I love words, and words to me mean something. And the word apartment has always bothered me because it's a part. And a long time ago, I called it a togetherment just in my mind. And I said, it's a togetherment. So I tell people that you call them apartments, and apartment. the word apartment is divisive. We call it togetherment, and that's inclusive. And so it, it, it's a play on words, and it's fun. And so, in fact, uh, one of my companies is Togetherment Management. So it's, uh, um, it, it, to me, it creates unity, and words mean things. So, yeah, I call them togetherness because we create, we create communities out of chaos, as I say sometimes. 
Very nice. Very nice. So, look, you've been in the industry a long time. You yourself just mentioned that there have been a lot of ups and downs. Give us maybe some top three pieces of advice or lessons that you learned during your time in the industry. Um, probably the biggest thing is, one, is to, to pay attention to what's going on in the market and, and know that it, you know, look for the signs and talk to those that have been before. Um, and then the second thing is, when I say talk to those, so the second thing is it's always good to visit with those that have 30 30, 40 years experience in the business that are still active because they've seen cycles and they see signs that come up to be wary of and be concerned about to listen to those people that have gone before. And that's sometimes that we have the ego that they were different. We don't have to do that. Um, and the third area is listen to your residents. What do they really want to live in peace? If they say they want free rent, well, that's not going to work. But if they say, hey, we'll pay our rent, but we want uh, the barbecue grill to work. We want the pool to be open. Uh, we want our repairs done in 24 hours or less. If you can, we want response to the communication when there's a problem at the property. Listen to the residents. So listen to the markets. Listen to those that have gone before. Listen to the residents. Those are the three areas I think that uh, we should really look at. Love it. Yeah, everything begins with listening there, and I think that's really important. So, look, Bruce, kind of similar but more geared to yourself. If you could go back in time knowing everything you know now, what would you do differently? What advice would you give yourself? I would learn more how, how capital works. I am, I am so passionate. In fact, we looked at two properties in two days. We walked one in Tucson, one in Phoenix, and I really get down in that. But I, I don't have a deep understanding of how money, money flows. And I do from a standpoint of a high level. But as far as uh, you know, I, accounting and taxes, I have people on staff that do that. But I just know that had I had a stronger knowledge of that, I would have made different decisions and paid less taxes and able to get more uh, tax deductions and pass more um, uh, ret higher returns to the investors. So it's all about taxes and accounting. Um, I got experts around me now that are that are filling, fulfilling that. But if I'd have had those years ago, I'd be in a different position today. Sure. So you know, in in some of our discussions, you mentioned to me that you're reading 52 books in 52 weeks. What prompted that goal, and and, and how is that going for you? Well, I heard from uh, Patrick Bet David on one of his programs, he's a podcaster and he's, he's big on YouTube, at least in the, the channels that I've been following. And he had mentioned that one of the, one of the guys reads 52 books a year. And I don't remember if it was Warren Buffett or Bill Gates or somebody. And I said, Hey, I could do that. That's the book a week. Well, it's, I'm on my 20th book in 18th week. And this one here is taking a little longer. It's the Steve Jobs book by Walter Isaacson. It's 600 pages. And I'm into about 420. And today is the, the seventh day of reading that book. So taking a little bit longer on this one but what prompted that i said hey if somebody else can do it so can i and i thought if i could do that in a year how much knowledge could i gain um by reading because i you know you get on youtube and listen but i'm way more i absorb way more what i read than what i hear and so that's the challenge it's just i heard somebody else did it hey, i can do that then i told people they said, that's crazy that you're nuts how could you ever do that just how much time are you going to commit as soon as i heard all those naysayers i said watch me <laughs> yeah there you go there you go. Yeah, reading is definitely fundamental. I think one of my favorite Elon Musk quotes when he was asked, how did he become so successful and how did he put a rocket into outer space? And his response was simply, I just read books. And I mean, that sometimes is all there is to it. There's so much information out there and it's at our fingertips. So uh, good for you for putting together that uh, that goal. And, and, you know, I think that's really exciting. I'm, I, I'm ha excited to hear where you'll be at the end of the year after reading all those books. So, look, we've got about a minute and a half left. You've added tremendous value to our viewers. Let's switch it up a little bit. Do you have any questions for me, Bruce? Uh, actually, it, 
what what got you to where you're going and what motivates you to get up every day? Yeah, good question. So I think what got me where I am is just this this burning drive to be successful and to help other people. And, you know, real estate is my passion. I feel so thankful to be where I am, to be a commercial real estate broker and to be able to help other people. And what gets me up in the morning and, and gets me going is just the, the, the thought of being able to create a certain financial destiny and legacy for myself and for my children and really for the world to be able to help other people. So that really gives me that drive uh, to get up every morning and, and do the work that I do. That's awesome because that's, uh, that's one of the things. I get up early in the morning and I wake up energized and people say, boy, you, uh, you must drink a lot of coffee. I said, actually, I have energy before the coffee, but I do like my coffee. <laughs> there you go. And awesome. Then what what book are you What book are you reading right now? Um, good question. So I uh, right now am reviewing a book that I love tremendously. Think and Grow Rich. It's a classic. And for anybody who's read the book, you haven't really read Holy it. You got to read yeah. it again. Uh, the first time I read it, I think I I read it. I read it again. I read it again three times straight. And I just I really love the concepts of you know internal reality creating external reality. And I found that when I convince myself that I'm going to have a certain destiny, that destiny just unfolds. So hey, Bruce, thank you so much for taking the time to provide this value to our viewers. Really appreciate having you on the show today. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, Dan. This was fun. Yep, my pleasure. I'm Dan Lukowitz. Another great episode of Dan on Top. We'll see you soon.